So if you're joining me, you are joining the Seeking Christ in the Scriptures podcast. Um, and some of you are joining live because I do this live on Facebook as well as YouTube simultaneously um, on Tuesday evenings um, at seven o'clock Eastern time. So you're welcome to join anytime. I think it's all public. So I don't think you have to um, you can share it with people. I'd love it if you'd share it with some of your friends, maybe that we don't, I don't know them, but maybe I can help them. So please feel free to do that. But my name is Matthew Tilly and um, I'm your um, internet Bible study leader tonight. Um, and some of you that know, most of you know me, but if you don't know me, uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm a, a pastor and I've just, uh, just started pastoring the North Beaver Baptist church in West Jefferson, North Carolina. I'm proud to, uh, be part of that. I think that's where the Lord would have us at this time. So we're, we're happy about that, but we're going to go ahead and get into the study tonight in Mark chapter two. And it's going to start in verse 23, and then we're going to go down to um, the end of the chapter, verse 28. So that's the text that we're going to look at. What I want to do at this at this point, though, is I want to take a moment to pray. Um, I've tried to tell you before, and I'll just I feel like it bears repeating, that I want to pray not as a perfunctory thing. That's just what we do. We're actually handling God's word, and we want to talk to the author, God himself, and ask him for wisdom as we handle it for wisdom for you as you hear it, because as much as I want to be accurate and proper, I'm telling you, there's not a Bible teacher on this planet that's going to get everything 100% right. Uh, but you're, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's going to help you discern what is right and what is proper. So that's what we're asking God's help for. So I'm going to pray, but I'd love it if you'd pray too. Even if you're listening to this recorded, as you go through this, don't listen to my prayer, you pray. Um, and uh, ask the Lord to give you wisdom as you hear this. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you for exactly that wisdom. Um, I want to teach these people what your word says. So I think in that way, I want to be accurate and direct and proper. I want to <clears throat> try to apply it to my life as well as theirs. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the, the thoughts, the intents of my heart and uh, guide them properly so that what I say is helpful, uplifting, edifying, encouraging to people. And then help the people that are listening and people that are watching that they will learn, not from me, although I'm glad to be a useful vessel, but they'll hear your words and act and react accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse my coughing. I just noticed I <clears throat> clearing my throat. I think I did that. I want to say it was last week, the week before. And I know why, in case anybody cares, uh, I'll tell you why. I ate supper before I came down here. My wife had fixed this wonderful vegetable stew. It was delicious. Uh, some folks from church had given us some potatoes and some tomato sauce, and she turned that into a stew with a bunch of other vegetables. And it was delicious, but <clears throat> as you can tell, <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to talk to you and I'm sort of digesting it as we speak. And um, so apologies for that, but uh, it was for a good cause. It was wonderful food. Um, I would invite you over, but I don't know if there'll be enough. So let's get into the study. Anyway, enough of that. Um, in verse uh, 22, I said that's where we're going to start off in verse, I said 22, verse 23, excuse me. That's where I want to start off. This is, this is a, uh, Mark is telling us, uh, uh, he, he's, he's, he's telling us a story. He's telling us narration of Jesus's ministry. And it's kind of interesting how Mark does this. And you'll notice in his style, it's very, very abrupt, very fast. He's kind of going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. He is generally telling things chronologically. Um, if you study Luke, for example, and I'm, I'm about to 
start a study or uh, preaching through a series of uh, some of Luke on Sundays at, at, at church. And one of the things about Luke is he's not necessarily, he, he's pretty uh, chronological, but he's more thematic in what he's presenting. Mark is pretty chronological, but when he's doing it from point to point to point, as he's doing that, sometimes it feels a little abrupt, like what is going on here? But I think the thing that helps under, helps you understand Mark probably better than anything is to understand, well, one, he's telling the life of Jesus. So that's that's kind of unvarnished truth. That's going to just be what it is. But then the second thing he's, he's doing is who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians who are probably in Rome. They are probably Gentile Christians, people who came to be believers in Jesus, but didn't have a history in, say, Judaism or other kinds of religious backgrounds. They may have been pagans before they were, were saved. So they didn't have any of that. So he's telling, and, and they're living in a very uh, pagan, very oppressive, from a spiritual perspective, very oppressive kind of world. So when Mark's writing to them, again, he's trying to remind them, listen, this is your king. This is your, your master, the one you're following. He's pointing them to Jesus. But as he's doing that, he's trying to point out things that Jesus provides to them so that he can bolster their faith, encourage them in the faith. And I imagine as we are, I imagine myself this way, and I imagine you that are listening are similar in this way, that as we're living in this world and it feels like the weight of the world sometimes can be on our shoulders. You've got your children bombarded or grandchildren in some cases bombarded with all this sexuality, drugs and materialism, anti-Christian uh, sentiment that's out there. You've got politicians, and I know this is not news, but politicians lie and they lie all the time. They lie to all of us unless um, unless we pay them a lot of money and then, and then they'll lie to us to pay them more. I, I don't like politicians. Uh, my apologies to any politician that's watching or listening. But uh, businesses try to steal from us. Um, even preachers I try to dupe congregations and try to dupe people. And I say that, I mean, I know that I'm standing here preaching and being a preacher and a pastor, but honestly, we don't have, pastors and preachers do not have a good track record. And it is terrible that that's the case. Try to act like they are somehow lording over God's God's church. And, and you've got all these things that are coming at us and it feels like the weight of the world's on our shoulders. So what we try to do, and I think it's a right impulse we try to put up all these walls and all these hedges around us to try to protect ourselves. And I imagine, remember I told you who Mark's writing to, he's writing to Roman Christians who I believe were in a similar spot, maybe had different battles that they were fighting, but a very similar kind of thing. And they're trying to think, listen, we're the folks who got the truth. We're following Jesus. So it's on us to hold back the waters of destruction on our families and in our culture and, and, and we have got to make this happen. If we don't make it happen, everything's going to go, go, you know, just fall apart. And I believe that in that, with that mindset in mind, that's part of why the Holy Spirit, this is my assumption, I believe this, that that's why the Holy Spirit gave Mark this story to pin down for the, the Jewish, or rather the Roman Christians, and then of course for us today. Because you're going to see this here, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the big headline. Uh, you even see it on the screen there. Jesus doesn't need your help. But the big headline is that God is God all by himself. Your input, my input is not required. You're going to see this. I hope you'll see this in this passage. Let me, let me first just walk you through it 
the text, this is 20, 23 through 28, just tell you what's going on here. And then I want to come away with um, uh, about five observations, sort of five lessons that I take from this very quickly uh, before I'm finished with you. So let's just go through it very quickly. Verse 23, Jesus and his disciples, it says, and that he went through the corn, uh, sorry, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, it goes on. But you got to imagine here, here's Jesus. He had been doing, right before that, he'd been giving um, the, you know, these, the, he's been giving this, this teaching just before this about um, how he changes everything. But then sort of the scene shifts and him and the disciples are now walking on the Sabbath day. They're walking through, it says a cornfield in the King James. Uh, th that, that word corn really could be, uh, it may not be an ear of corn like we're thinking of today. It was probably been some kind of grain. That's kind of the corn that might've been in mind. But still, we're, think of it as a big field. It's got some stuff growing, something that's clearly edible, edible because they begin to pluck the ears of corn as they're going in verse 23. So Note that it's the Sabbath day. Note that they're probably hungry. And as they're walking, they grab some of this, some of the, some of this corn or grain and grab it and they start eating it. So that's what's going on in this, in this verse 23. Verse 24, you've got the Pharisees. These are the very religious, very observant, uh, very traditional, conservative, uh, letter of the law kind of people. Uh, in our day, we might call these fundamentalists. Um, and I say that with all acknowledgement that I would consider myself in some ways a fundamentalist um, and, and within the Baptist uh, denomination, Baptist faith. But, but nonetheless, I mean, that's, they're the kind of sort of people who really hold God's word very seriously. So in a positive sense, very serious. In a negative sense, a little persnickety about some stuff. So you, you'd see that with them. That's who these people are. And, he, and, he, and they said unto him, Jesus, so they see Jesus and they're eating this, this grain or corn. And they say to Jesus, behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Now, notice what, what's happening here. These guys are calling Jesus and his disciples out saying, why are you eating on the Sabbath? Why are you taking this corn on the Sabbath? Why are you walking on the Sabbath? They're passing through a field. Now, you got to understand this. You got this. Let <laughs> me stop it and say this. It's the Sabbath day. That's this holy day where you didn't do any work. And this is based on um, uh, the Mosaic law where you're not supposed to do any work. And the Bible clearly does say you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. But the Pharisees had this way of interpreting the law and adding things to the law to the point where here they are. Literally, the act of walking would have potentially been breaking the Sabbath depending how far they walked, the act of actually pulling something off the stalk and eating it would have been considered working or reaping, if you will. So that they were just, all Jesus was doing and the disciples were doing, passing through the field, grabbing stuff. And these guys are like, why are you doing this? So Jesus's answer is pretty, pretty telling. Look in verse 23, he says, and said unto them, have you never read that day, what David did? So he's talking about King David in the Old Testament. When he had need, and was unhungered, he and they that were with him. So there's a story in Samuel. First Samuel, oh my goodness, I didn't write down the chapter, but it's in First Samuel around uh, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that, that vicinity of First Samuel, where David and his men are on the run, and he's hungry. And so he's about to tell this story, but that's, that's where they are. They're on the run. This is before he becomes king, or 
he's been crowned king, but or rather uh, anointed king, but the people haven't accepted him. Saul's still uh, the king and he's running from Saul. And then in verse 26, Jesus tells the story of what happened, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest and gave also to them that were with him. So there is that story. David's on the run. He goes to the priest. He's like, I'm hungry. The priest gives him this showbread. It's uh, or the, the bread of the presence. It was a it was holy bread that was meant for as part of the worship. And the only people that were supposed to eat it by the law were the priest. Yet in the Bible, David eats of it. And as far as you can tell, and that's the point Jesus is making here, is nobody gets mad that David, eat, David eats it. And the Pharisees, as well as most of the Jewish folks at that time, would have, and even today, would have hold up, hold up David as a, as a very important man who does right things. Uh, you know, he, he's a man after God's heart, the Bible tells us. So they would have seen him as, as, you know, doing the right thing here. And he says, don't you remember when he did something that was technically illegal, but, or not against, the, it was against the law, but, you know, nobody got upset at him about that because he was hungry. And he's, he says, this that needs to, needs to be applied in this situation. Verse 27, and he goes further, he, he kind of makes the point he's really trying to make here. Yes, there was that situation with David, but let me explain what I'm saying. Look at verse 27. He said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man. So this day of rest was made so that man could have a day of rest, not man for the Sabbath. So you get the point he's saying, this, this day where we're supposed to take a break from everything, that's for y'all. It's to help you. It's not intended to make things harder for you, to make it hurt, not to, trying to hurt you. He says, and he makes the point even harder in verse 28. He says, therefore, the son of man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. He's saying, listen, this is my day. I'm in charge of this. I've got this. I know what I'm He's essentially, I think he's saying it much nicer than this, but he's essentially saying, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. <laughs> he doesn't say that. That's that's more of me interpreting it a little bit. But he, he essentially is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one that's in charge here. And I made the Sabbath to give you a gift, not to impose burdens on you. With that backdrop, let me give you five quick lessons out of this. I think that may be helpful to you. First of all, we need to be very happy that God is the one that makes laws, not man. The regulations that the Pharisees are talking about here, and, the, and they are based in Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, they are there. They are, there is a, I mean, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the, uh, to honor and to keep the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So they, it's based in God's law. But what they're imposing, this idea of, you know, how far you can walk before you're breaking it. How can you actually pull grain off of a stalk? Is that considered reaping and therefore doing work? Those were all interpretations of the law. They added extra rules to the Bible, to the, to the scripture, to be fair, for clarity, to give some edges where the Bible was a little vague on some things. And the law did specifically, just talk about pulling grain off of a, a, a sorry, yeah, grain off of a stalk. It did forbid reaping on the Sabbath. Absolutely did forbid that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it's, it says, that's not reaping. Pulling some stalk, some grain off a stalk to eat it, what that is, is just something you're allowed to do. 
you're just allowed to do that. If you're hungry and you happen to be standing in a field, if even if it's your neighbor's field, you're allowed to, if you're hungry, fill your belly. That's what God's law says. This is how God's law does. It's, it's, it, it's, God's easier on us than we are, but somehow we want to impose additional laws because, and this is the second observation, God's laws are meant to protect and to provide us, not to hurt us. I think we get this wrong thinking about the way God's law works. It's like somehow God's up in heaven, this mean ogre up in heaven, and he is trying to stop us from doing something that's good, fun, and right. Not at all. God's law is good. God's law is perfect. In fact, let me read this to you out of Psalm 19. This is a passage I think will probably be familiar to your ear as you hear it. Psalm 19 starts in verse 7, goes down to verse 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. You see, practically, if you listen to what God says in his word, the intent of his law is not to make you go without. His intent is not to, let's just be very specific, he is not trying to deprive you of sexual fulfillment by requiring you to be faithful. Instead, he is giving you this gift if you will obey it. He's not trying to make you go hungry by not by telling you not to not to go eat so much that you get that you that you get sick. You know, you got you gotta be careful with how much you eat. He's not trying to make you go hungry. No, by no means. He's not trying to make us poor by telling us to give to people. He's not trying to hurt us by saying we need to put in an honest day's work, as as the one of the epistles says that a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. He's not trying to make us hurt. He's not trying to hurt our joints. What is he trying to do? He's trying to help us create the kind of life that is, as we use the term, blessed of God. Blessed doesn't mean we get all of our desires and wants. Blessed means that God's stamp of approval is on our lives, that we are living according to the manufacturer specifications, if I can put it to you that way. The best way I can describe it to you is if you have a car and especially especially some of these, you know, really kind of highly tuned cars, you know, really performance kind of cars and all that, there are certain things you would better do. You'd better put the right kind of gas in it, the right kind of oil, you know, the right kind of res, uh, 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 rotation and make sure you got the right kind of tires on it and make sure you drive it the right. And if you don't, you're, you're going to damage it. But if you do, that thing sings, hugs the curves and all that. That's what we're talking about here. When you obey God's law, it is intended to protect us and to provide for us and to help us, not to hurt us. But what when he, when he puts those laws out there, his prevailing purpose is to help people. And that means when we are trying to apply it, and I think that's what we end up having to do is we take God's law we see what he says, and he doesn't give us every specific situation. So we do have to apply it to those situations. But it's people and their needs 
that take precedence over ceremony and tradition and all that sort of thing. Because you do know that God created this whole world, the, the stars and the moon and the planets and the mountains and the oceans. He, he did all of that and put the crown jewel, which is humanity, on that. That the needs of the people that are made in his image, that is why he put it all together. So when he puts these laws in place, it's not to the detriment of people. It's actually thinking of the people first. So the disciples in this case, in verse 23, they're hungry. What should be the prevailing case? Feed them. You've got these Pharisees, instead of saying, hey, boys, looks like y'all are hungry. Maybe we can give you something to eat. we got something here. It's already prepared. You don't have to break the Sabbath. We've already got it hit. Why not that? Why get on their case? Because they're looking at ceremony over people. But God is saying, listen, David was hungry. And I know it was special bread, but he's hungry. Fill his belly. That this is how God operates. That, don't misunderstand. It's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it is to say we are to prioritize the needs of human beings over what we might consider what is good, right, proper, good manners, all that sort of thing. Because human beings are made in his image and have inherent dignity and inherent value. And we that means we need to listen to those who are hurting. We need to provide for those who are in need. We need to feed and clothe those who are hungry and naked. I think sometimes uh, we, we can we can get in our mind that people have to meet our standards in order to be able to help them. That's not how God operates. No, 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 no. Our job is not to judge who is proper and right and mer merits our help. It's to say who needs it. Let's go help them. That's what he's that's what he's saying. In fact, Jesus even says basically boils the law down to two laws: love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. This is where God puts the needs of people over ceremony. Fourth observation, I'm going quickly. God's burden is light. We make it heavy. The Pharisees were taking something that, as Jesus said in, in verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man. It was something that was meant as a good thing. And they turned it into a burden. You look at how, if you were to go through scripture and see how they had added all these things, I mean, to the point where, and, and, and some of the Orthodox Jews even today have some very, very tedious kinds of rules and regulations. And it's all stems from the same idea that it's, it's from a right spirit. I'm trying to protect this and this is holy. And we want to do this, but they made it to the point, definitely these Pharisees had made it to the point where it was hard. It was hard. And in doing so, they are actually undoing the work of God. Uh, Jesus says later on in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4 that they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And he was condemning this kind of behavior as he said this. On the contrast, Jesus says of himself, Matthew eleven thirty, 30, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And if I can put it to you this way, if it is burdensome, if it is grievous, if we are making demands of people that they have to shape up or do things our way, I'm going to stop short of saying it's not of God, but I am going to say we need to stop and think about it. Is it really what God said? Or are we imposing our burden on it, making it heavier than it has to be? Number five, and finally, and coming all the way back to the beginning, 
God, Jesus himself, is the one who's calling the shots. He's doing this all by himself. That's why he says at the end that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one. That's simply to say, instead of us trying to fix everything, trying to solve the world's problems, trying to rid the world of sinners, trying to judge all the sinners, we need to lean in on his good gifts, trust him to protect, trust him to provide, trust him to give. We, we know that we can't add anything to God's perfection, and we know for a fact we can't and shouldn't add anything to his word. We know this. But unfortunately, in our practice, we tend to do this in order to, again, it's out of a good impulse, trying to protect things. But God doesn't need our help to protect things. We need to trust him to protect we need to trust him. So I go back and I mentioned how our children are bombarded with all these things. And yes, parents should do their due diligence to protect their children. But how much, how often are we actually spending time asking the one who can protect them? God, can you protect? Will you protect my children? Will you give me the wisdom to do what I need to? Yeah, there are politicians out there that are going to lie to us and lie through their teeth. Look at us and smile and lie to us. But how often is it? I think it's Timothy, or, or rather, Peter says to Timothy in Timothy in the in the letter to Timothy, he says <clears throat> we need to pray for him, the politicians, the governor, the governor. I think is the way he says it. We need to pray. Are we? How much are we actually doing? Not 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 those <laughs> not, not that kind of prayer. The kind of prayer that says strike him now. No, the kind of prayer that says give him wisdom. You've put them in place, God. They're they are there because you have ordained them to be there. Will you give them wisdom so that they will operate according to your will? I talked about the preachers who fail us, don't act right. Too many times we put a lot of <clears throat> structures and, and all these rules and regulations in place, and they're right-minded trying to protect the church from wolves who will come in and hurt the church. I understand that. But whose church is it? It's God's church. Why don't we approach the one who can who will, who said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Why don't we go to him and say, Lord, <clears throat> we've got some guys out there that want to pray on your church, want to lord over it. Can you protect us from that? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one. We don't have to put all these things in place. Instead, what we can do is trust him and trust him alone. Because Jesus doesn't need our help. We need his <laughs> all day long and twice on Sundays if I can add that. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I hope this has been at least thought-provoking, if not enlightening, uh, but I hope it was enlightening as well. But I believe, uh, I believe that this is an interesting take that Jesus gives us to help us in our times of trouble. I look forward to meeting with you again next week. We'll be on here at seven o'clock. I'll go ahead and get that scheduled on Facebook and YouTube. You can get that marked and I'd love to have you join us. And we'll be looking in Mark chapter three, the first uh, story there. Uh, we'll be looking at that, the man with the withered hand, and uh, we'll study that together. Y'all have a great week. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye now.